0: You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good
1: afternoon, everyone, and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Our show today is going to focus on interventions. Uh, We had scheduled to have William Cope moyers on today, but um, we're going to need to reschedule that as something has arisen with William. So um, thanks for listening, and we'd like to just begin by talking a little bit about the process of treatment for people with substance use disorders. Um, often the person doesn't know themselves that they need help, but the people around them, their employers, their family, their friends are often aware that um, the substance use is taking its toll, and sometimes uh, an intervention is needed to help the person identify that there is a problem and that um, that it needs their, and that they need help and that things need to change. There are number of um, different types of interventions available to folks. Uh, The intervention that we use at Westbridge and that we found to be very um, effective, it's a a model called the ARISE model. And um, I have with us um, an ARISE interventionist who is going to be talking to us about the model and um, the effectiveness of it. So I would like to introduce my guest today, Kevin Keith, who is a licensed clinical social worker and who is also an interventionist. Uh, Welcome, Kevin. And first, could you begin by just telling us a little bit about yourself?
2: Hey, thank you, Mary. A little bit about myself. Let's see. I am an Arise interventionist, and I was trained in this model. And Arise stands for a relational intervention sequence of engagements. And I was trained by, among others, of the folks who started um, this invitational intervention, Dr. Judith Landau and James Garrett. Um, See, That was about a year ago or so when I had met James and Judith, and they have been doing great work around the country in getting this method of intervention out to folks. And uh, as you said, as far as fitting into our uh, model at Westbridge, this intervention really does fit nicely
1: um, as you said that this model was developed um, can you tell me a little bit how this is different from um, the more traditional interventions where that um, we might see on television or that people might be used to oh
2: okay um, yeah one of the the the, the real exciting piece to Arise Interventions is that, um, and the big difference with it, it, re- it really is an invitation to an individual, a family member, to join in the process of recovery um, as opposed to inviting them uh, and ambushing them in a way um, to get into recovery <laughs> So what we do is completely up front. We explain to an individual through their family um, that you know there's a uh, we have concerns that we're meeting as a family to discuss those concerns related to um, this family member, whether it's uh, for substance use, mental health issues, or both. And they're invited to attend because the family really needs to get together to talk about this to see how we can best support. Them And that's the big piece. That's the big difference with an ARISE intervention, that it really does um, do a two-pronged approach. One, it's uh, an invitation. Nothing's a surprise. And two, it it really focuses on the family as well as the um, identified family member.
1: Um, One of the things that I found exciting about this model um, when when I first learned of it was the fact that it is an invitation. Um, I have Mm -hmm. worked in... The addiction profession for almost 30 years, and when I first started working in the profession, I had a very close friend of our family um, who was um, a police officer in another state. Um, He was a very he was a man who drank a lot, but was very quiet when he drank, um, very funny when he drank, and to most of us, um, we didn't see the level of impairment that. his His immediate family saw and his uh coworkers saw so I don't know I was working in this uh profession about a year, and his his place of business, the police department where he worked at decided that he needed they needed to do an intervention and they did an intervention that completely took him by surprise, blindsided him
0: mm-hmm. and
1: he was um forced to go into treatment. He went into treatment and um has you know I don't know that he stayed sober very long after treatment. I saw him about six months after he got out of treatment, and this is a, a person that I've known I had known for most of my life. And mm-hmm. the first thing he said to me was, "You're not going to get me sober." And I mean, I've never I had never even talked to him in relation to his addiction. So um, that has kind of set the stage for our relationship for all these many years. And to the best of my knowledge, he is still drinking daily and um, has lost his job, lost his family, has very little contact with now his grown children. And, um, you know, I really think that had this model been used in his instance, um, the outcome might have been different. I don't know that for sure, but um, it was just very tragic to see that how the family suffered after the first episode of treatment failed.
2: Wow, and that's that is pretty um, typical from uh, some of the literature that individuals, even when um, interventions are successful, that have been a complete surprise. That the individuals who you know have maintained their sobriety or being clean all this time, all these years, they still have um, somewhat of a resentment around how it happened. Not the fact that it happened, but how it happened. And it stays with them.
1: Right. right. That I, I would tend to agree that's been my experience as well. Um, we know that addiction is a brain disease, and we know that, as with other chronic illnesses, people may require um, multiple episodes of care before they finally are able to manage their illness. And we know um, as a result of the stages of change, Model that was developed by Dr. Carlo Di Clemente and James Prochaska that that um, it, it changes the process and that people will go through different stages before they've actually made a decision to um, to change their behavior. It's also been my experience in working within the New Hampshire prison system that oftentimes people are in prison, they they want to get out, and you know what they'll say is, "Yeah, I'm going to stay sober when I get out of." Out of prison, but then when you ask them, Are you going to stay sober when you get off parole? That's a whole different decision. And, um, I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that, um, we don't pay attention to what people's motivation is for changing and what their goal is. We assume that it may be somebody's going to stay sober because they've gone through an intervention and they don't want to, um, and they want to be sober because it's it's good for them and it's good for their, their well being, when in fact, they really don't see the need to be sober, except in the context of I need to keep my job or I need I want to keep my family, which may in effect help them stay sober for a period of time, but it may also be the breeding ground for those resentments that you were talking about. That eventually the person begins to resent the fact that um, that they're not using substances anymore and um, and relapse.
2: Exactly. <clears throat>
1: so, um, could you begin by maybe talking a little bit about um, what happens when a family calls and they're they're looking for help to get their family member into treatment?
2: Well, we identify that person when they first call in. <coughs> excuse me, as um, our family liaison, basically, or in a language excuse me, a first caller. And they really are the the working member of the family that's going to help with the interventionists in organizing this intervention. And this whole thing, this whole Arise intervention, also is based and inspired by a belief in a family's inherent competence and resilience and the strength of a family. That's the first message we get across, that this is not a um, judgment of, of any kind on the addicted individual or the ill individual or the family. This is, a, again, a two-pronged approach, not only to organize the family into a board of directors, but also to help um, support the identified family member into getting into some sort of recovery. And it was a really nice piece to go back to what you were saying, Mary, is that it really does help um, meet an individual where they're at as far as their stage of change. Because it's not nothing at the, this initial stages are really being forced on an individual. Everything's being, um, is upfront. It's an invitation. And all it is is a discussion to start with of concerns and love and education around the strength of the family. So the uh, first caller, this family member, would, with the interventionist assistance, identify who could be on that supportive network, who could be on that family board of directors. And then their job would be to go forth and contact those individuals to see if they could participate and would participate in sometimes a lengthy process, months and months, of Support to get the not only the family member into care but also to support the family um, in getting into recovery. So that's the first call, is just getting a lot of information and providing a, a lot of support for whoever it had made that first call.
1: I can see where some families may think, like, wow, this is a month-long process. This is mm-hmm. not what we're looking for. We want something to happen right now. Um, how do you address that? because families are used to interventions being immediate and very um, action-oriented.
2: Right. Um, in the past, what we've done is done a review of what they've been doing so far or what, ha- what hasn't worked up until this point, and uh, in many cases, what has worked um, to help engage a family member, to help engage this ill individual. We, and we basically meet the family and educate the family from that first call or even that first meeting after the first call. You know, why are we going through this? Why isn't so-and-so going to agree to get into care? And it really is up to the interventionists to provide the education to the family, to this board of directors, that um, even though the family is in action stage and wants to do this, that the intervention really needs to – be step-by-step process that brings everybody along at the same time, because when you apply a, a different stage of intervention to someone who's at a different stage than the, the family members are, the person may comply, but there is a greater likelihood that the, uh, <laughs> the efforts... Uh,
1: Go ahead
2: will not take effect.
1: Okay, so that um, in our next segment, we'll talk a little bit more, Kevin, about the different stages you were talking about. Sure. um, To make that a little bit more uh, clear for our our audience. And we'll also talk a little bit more about the resilience and strength of families. So as we fade away to our next commercial, please join us for our next segment on um, Rise Intervention.
0: you're listening to voice america health and wellness If you're looking for a better way to clean the air in your home or office, you need the all-new ozone light. It's as simple as changing your light bulbs. The ozone light looks like a normal spiral type of light bulb. It screws in most standard light sockets, but it's not a normal light bulb. It's coated with titanium dioxide. It's completely safe, but this unique coating kills most airborne bacteria, mold spores, and neutralizes odors. Just one light cleans the air in an entire room and lasts eight times longer than the normal light bulb. If you have smokers, if you have allergies, if you have pet odors, mold or mildew, you need the ozone light. It will wipe them out and you have our word. If you are not satisfied with the way the ozone light cleans the air in your home, simply return it for a full refund. Here's the number to call to order.
4: 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. Save up to $100 now. 800-380-4259.
0: 800-380-4259. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to
1: One Hour at a Time. We're talking today with Kevin Keith regarding um, interventions for uh, addiction and mental health treatment. And while there are different models of interventions, the one we're talking about today is ARISE interventions, which um, we use at Westbridge and we find to be very effective. Uh, We talked in our last segment a little bit about the participant being at one stage and the family being at another stage. And could you explain, Kevin, a little bit more about um, the stage process that you're talking about?
2: Oh, sure. Um, A a basic analogy that was told to me uh, not too long ago would be um, as far as stage-based interventions and treatment versus where someone is as far as their stage of change would be if an individual is um, cited for driving under the influence and needs to go to a, uh, the judge ordered an intervention class over the weekend that this individual must attend and have signed off in order to get their license back or in order not to have their license revoked. So they go to the class, they finish it Saturday, they finish it Sunday, and on the way home, they pick up a six-pack of... Even though the court system was very action-oriented in their intervention, the individual evidently didn't believe that they were that there was an issue, that there was a problem. Probably, if I had to guess, that the issue was that they got caught. So, in the stage of change language, they would be pre-contemplative; that they really didn't believe that there was an issue
1: that they were just at the wrong place at the wrong time because everybody else was probably drinking the, the same rate they were drinking.
2: Exactly. And with the stages of change, there, there are five of them, pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and maintenance. And most folks that we work with are in pre-contemplation stage. So with that example, and that's a pretty uh, relevant example as far as uh, an intervention that did not match an individual's stage of change. And the net result is it it didn't do anything except keep an individual busy for two days. It really didn't change the long-term addiction process, drinking habits. So with this, we know that through this stages of change and stage based interventions, when we are more adept at matching our intervention where in a, with a, an individual at their particular stage, the end result is that an individual, <clears throat> excuse me, is less inclined to um, resist because we're not forcing anything. Um, with folks in a pre-contemplation stage it really is asking questions of an individual not making any judgments um, providing support education and forming a relationship to hopefully begin to help them start asking questions or maybe building some ambivalence that well maybe uh, driving, drinking and driving is not a good thing. Maybe uh that ticket are being pulled over for a DUI, um, you know maybe I have to start paying attention to this. So rather than forcing them into something, you, we engage them at their thinking process level, just in a conversation. So if there's less resistance and there's more of a relationship building, which can help us help that individual, hopefully move into other stages of change. And accepting other levels of care and treatment.
1: Um, that brings to mind a couple things for me. One is, is that when people are really pre-contemplative, they've really externalized the problem. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> um, everyone else drinks the same as I do. I just got caught. And that it's really important as treatment interventions during that phase to, one, engage the person, and two, you know, assess and teach the person. Um, you know whether whether in fact they do have a substance use disorder, and and to try to be as non-judgmental and as um, fact-oriented as possible, so that we can create ambivalence in folks. And when the family has called and they're ready to take action, and the person is really not thinking that there's much of a, a problem, that's a real disconnect. And um, how do you manage that when the family is like, okay, we're ready. We want this person in treatment, residential treatment for the next two months, and we want them to be sober and take their medication, let their anxiety be gone. Um, how do you talk with families that are so action-oriented and the, and the family member isn't?
2: Well, we we do talk with uh, families about this quite a bit. And... <clears throat> We try and assure them that not only through our experience but also through the research that if we do, and we could, um, you know, families do have an option to uh, be very action-oriented in their intervention, but they came to us for a specific reason, and our experience, our practice, and research shows that when we work with individuals, by meeting them at their stage of change the likelihood of not only maintaining a relationship with them but also supporting them through stages of change and treatment and levels of sobriety is greater than if you force an intervention on them. Um, There are many uh, options for family to take right away even without an interventionist. uh, um, Just this morning a woman discussed with me the possibilities of um, looking at uh, guardianship over her adult son based on some of the issues of addiction that we've already spoken about. And it is an option. It's very action-oriented. The family feels good about doing that, that it is an option, that they could petition the court for guardianship. They can call the police to do a wellness check if they really do fear for someone's well-being. So what it comes down to is safety. Safety is the number one concern, and if that is the case, then yes, um, we can contact law enforcement to do a wellness check on somebody. If it's not an immediate issue of safety, then we can work from a stage-based approach and hopefully you know, give the, actually what we do, not hopefully, we give the parents a lot of hope that this process will be able to maintain itself because of the way they go about engaging their family member. We also provide a, a lot of information and gather a lot of information from the family in looking at their past family efforts, what's worked, what hasn't. And we also look at the family, and not only this generation, but prior generations to help give the family some information about how generationally the some of the coping patterns, some of the communication patterns, some of the genetics in the family have been passed down, not only from parent to child, but also looking back at grandparents, -grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents. And in many cases... There are wars involved that people have survived. There have been emigrations, immigrations that people have survived. And what we do pass on is not only hope, a message of hope, but also a message of strength. Many families don't understand or don't realize that how strong and how many skills and strengths that the current generation, the people that are alive today, have. And we do what we call a genogram to help identify you know, a family tree, relationships, but also strengths and skills that have been passed on from generation to generation, as well as, in many cases, there may have been addiction up the family tree, which has been passed down from generation to generation. And out of a strength, this model, um, the ARISE method, sees, in some ways, um, an addiction as a way of keeping the family together through trauma because, as uh, many uh, statistics and research shows, that an addicted individual has a high degree of contact with family members, daily contact with family members, more so than the general non-addicted population. So the ARISE method, um, Judith and Jim really wanted to turn um, that Uh, Thought on its ear and show people that there are a lot of strengths, there are a lot of skills, and that the family really is a tool for hope and recovery.
1: Um, The the ARISE model is very encouraging because we do know that addiction is a brain disease. It's also Mm -hmm. a family disease. And oftentimes families are scapegoated in the disease treatment process. I know many families that um, feel discouraged and feel blamed and shamed as a result of their family member's substance use. And with this model, it really does focus on strength and on resilience and what the family does well. And um, it just leaves everybody feeling better about what's going on and feeling like that they aren't being controlled by the addiction or the substance abuse anymore. That they do have choices, and that everyone has a choice, including the um, the person with the substance use disorder. Um, I think that uh, you know families are able to intervene earlier using this model. <clears throat> They're able to um, sustain their own um, mental health and. And uh, part of the model, I believe, is also each family member has work to do in addition to the, um, the affected person, the identified patient. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. That is correct. That's what we've found time and time again.
1: So that the family members not only contract to be on the board of directors for the individual, they also contract for their own health.
2: Absolutely. There's no judgment or blaming at all in this.
1: Um, As we go into our next break, um, we will return talking about interventions and the Arise model.
2: Thank you.
0: You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celeste Rennese's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any.
4: Voice America Network proudly presents the Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern to the Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel.
1: Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and if you have any questions for us, please give us a call. We're talking this afternoon about interventions in substance use disorders, and we're talking specifically about one model of intervention called the ARISE model. While there are other models out there, this is a model that um, we have found at Westbridge to be uh, very effective and very effective. in keeping with our philosophy around family involvement and treatment for addiction and mental illness. This model really focuses, well, we know that um, mental illness and addiction are are chronic diseases that affect the family just like any other chronic disease does. Uh, This model enables the family to build on their strengths and um, utilize the resiliency that they have also offers each family member an opportunity to work on their own wellness, and it's, the focus is just not entirely on the identified um, person with the uh, the addiction. Um, we'd like to spend a little bit more time talking about uh, families and family uh, participation in the ARISE model. Uh, Kevin talk to us a little bit more about families' involvement and, and the actual process. You talked about the initial phone call, and maybe we could talk a little bit more about the process in the family.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, I can't underscore enough that when a, a family member, which is it's usually an older family member that is the first caller mm-hmm. um, inquiring about an ARISE intervention, um, when they call, there is a lot of uh, emotion, a lot of affect involved. Because this is this is somebody that they love, and we do not blame, preach, we educate and support, and we also protect the family and the um, member that they are concerned about. This is a time of crisis in the family, and the family needs uh, the concerted efforts of skilled professionals to take care of them during this process and to provide the support and encouragement. And part of Arise Interventions, a big piece of Arise Interventions, is really underlining, highlighting the family strengths. Not only as a people, everybody, this is what we tell and work with families on. We let people know that, you know, genetically, we are alive today based on the strengths of our ancestors. So everybody on this planet today has survived through strengths. Their families have survived through strength, through generations and generations and generations. When we do a family tree, a genogram, not only of the the people in someone's family, but also um, time-wise, what were some of the traumas in their lives? In a recent intervention that uh, we completed, an individual had lived their family in recent generations, grandfather included, um, had gone through actually if we go to great grandfather, had emigrated uh due to a famine in Ireland. Uh grandfather was in was a Marine in the war, uh World War two, I believe. And uh father Vietnam era and current family <laughs> excuse me. Um I believe a family member was serving in Iraq. So going back, this family had to be very strong, not only for surviving, whoever did survive a famine and an emigration to the United States, but survived so well that they were able to build generation and generation and generation in a new country. So... That family member not only was able to do that, but passed on strengths and skills to the next generation where they were able to survive a war. And the next generation probably had to survive another war and provided uh, not only for their families, but experience, education, and a family life and structure through all of these changes and traumas down to today's current generation. Unfortunately, over the years... What we've seen, um, along with these strengths, and it's because of these strengths that some of these maladaptive coping patterns uh, were able to set in to a family. Um, a lot of times, we find that these um, substance the substance use starts and continues post trauma, post war. Uh, it starts during the trauma, during the war, and continues on. For the next generation, that may be seen as just a, a normal way of life, whether it's social drinking, whether it's uh, culturally seen as appropriate, not just in a family. But then behaviors are born and passed on from generation to generation, where it, there may have been a genetic um, susceptibility now becomes a behavioral, behavioral, excuse me, susceptibility. And that gets passed on with the strength. As a strength, as a coping skill to keep that family unit intact, it's actually passed on as a strength from generation to generation, even though now we know it's an illness. That if it becomes an addiction, it truly is an illness, and now it becomes a liability in the family. So the goal here is not only to educate, but also to help the the individual with the illness, in this case, if we're talking about an addiction, to stop it at this generation. And there really is an ability to help stop it at this generation. And that's where the hope comes in. And that's where the support uh, for the entire family comes in, not just for um, the identified family member.
1: When we talk about um, addiction and families, we often talk about um, enabling and yes. codependency, and I'm just wondering with the Arise model, when it's strength-based and resiliency-based, yes. how how do you reconcile enabling or codependency? In
2: this, <laughs> model? this is this is where um, a, the the model uh, within the Arise model we call the the network, the support team, a. Uh, board of directors, which the family, the family member who, um, we'd all like to see in recovery, they're a part of. There's an old saying called one-on-one, on one, the addiction always wins. And what that means, if there's an individual who's living on the streets, the research is showing that, um, you know, upwards of, you know, 64% of, some of these folks who are addicted are having daily contact, telephone contact, with one or more parent. in in a family unit where there's uncles, aunts, um, grandparents, siblings, someone's having contact. Someone is uh, being either called or... Um, or, uh, you know, uh, by happenstance, seen on the street and cornered, uh, you know, come on, Mom, come on, Dad, come on, Sis, it's just give me $5. I need some smokes or I need some, you know, I'm a little hungry, I'm a little this. And, you know, what's $5 going to hurt? And sometimes the fam- the other family members don't hear about this. And uh, what we're trying to do in this model is not to say, Okay, this uh, the family can't provide you know a hundred percent of this individual's supports with nothing expected of them um, as far as them taking steps or uh, even looking at their own recovery.
1: Well, using that example, um, you know, the families decided that if the person you know continues to use substances, they can't live yep. at home anymore. They end up on the street. Then, how does the family deal with? Um, that situation when the when they're approached for five dollars or ten dollars
2: or this is um, where the board of directors comes in. It, it, this is a great example. The, the board of directors is perfect for this. Rather than being isolated, the, um, and this has worked. Um, this This worked in a um, last year with um, some a family we were working with. A um, mom was being isolated just like that, and uh, due to this board of directors. We one of the expectations in this board is um, it's, this is definitely a two-way street that we hold each other accountable. Say, look, you know, if some this is all in the open, there are no secrets. If you know, uh, if Joe or Joanne calls or meets you and wants this type of support, our agreement here to each other is that we will provide support, but we can't do it piecemeal, one-on-one. It has to be through this board of directors. So if Mom is approached for that when She has um, the capacity. Um, in this case, she did. She had her cell phone. She said, "Look, I can't um, provide that. I, you know, this was explained. We discussed this. That this is all going to go through the board of directors. Your family that supports and cares and loves you. Um, we're going to make the decisions as a whole because it'd be uh, more fair that way. And we do explain it as an illness and a disease because." The disease is asking for these shortcuts, for these um, $5 here and $5 there, for many different people in this board of directors that can help the illness stay without being challenged, you know, for another day, another week, another month. So that's one of the key components and one of the nicest components of This, uh, board of directors, this Arise intervention is, you know, mom doesn't have to be alone anymore. She doesn't have to be isolated. She doesn't have to say no or give in after being, uh, badgered or embarrassed or. Do
1: begin to feel like the family's ganging up on him or her? Do they begin to feel resentful toward the family?
2: There's some of that where uh, we have seen some, uh, resentment and, um, uh, some uh, reactions to this type of uh, of intervention to this board of directors, and f- it, every time uh, that i 've either heard or read or experienced this uh, you know from other interventionists from my mentors uh, Judith and Jim, that it is very it, fairly fleeting and it is a challenge to the board of directors. Uh, This is a a new way to communicate and to address hopefulness in the family. And there's a a family dynamic called homeostasis, and it'll occupy somebody at one point or another, and it's just the force to keep things the same. There is going to be an uncomfortableness with change. It's our job to remind folks that this, you know, we're going to stay as a board of directors, as a family, and this is the hopeful, supportive approach to someone's recovery, as well as the family's.
1: So the individual may have a, a period of um, resentfulness or anger, but it's fleeting?
2: It has been fleeting, yes.
1: Okay, um, stay with us while we take our next commercial break, and we will see you on the other side.
4: A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness.
3: Fashion common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's WestBridge.org. Family Center Recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders.
4: The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Autism One: A Conversation of Hope, hosted by Betsy Hicks illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism is treatable, and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Sexi offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism, spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, adult services, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, A Conversation of Hope broadcast each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, A Conversation of hope through education and conversation there is hope your
0: life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness
1: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Today we're talking about the Arise Intervention Model. Um, interventions are often needed to uh, facilitate people entering into a treatment process, and um, it, it certainly is recommended that you find an interventionist that you can communicate with, you can collaborate with, and that listens to, to what your needs are and the needs of your family. There's, there's no one right way to get into treatment. Um, there are different levels of treatment from, you know, outpatient to intensive outpatient to residential to, um, you know, halfway houses to three quarter way houses. And people may find different levels of treatment to be more palatable than others. So when you are looking at uh, doing an intervention with your family, try to talk with people who are willing to give you options. Um, and with the arise model, we start with the um, with a with a lesser level of care, less intensity of care, and then work our way up to the more intense level of care, trying to really meet the person where they're at to be and to engage them in the treatment process, because oftentimes um, the person's use of substances there are benefits to it as well as consequences. And in the early stages of uh, treatment, we're really trying to help people to focus more on the consequences and to really understand what the benefits are so then we can provide treatment interventions that will um, help make the benefits be less beneficial and the consequences have more uh, effect as well. So in talking about the rise model, we were talking uh, in our last segment about the family becoming a board of directors and being able to work together um, very much in concert with the individual. There are no surprises. The individual is invited to all the meetings and is invited to be part of the process. If the person declines, the the family continues to meet and develop a strategy for their own health as well as to engage their family member in treatment. Uh, We would like to talk a little bit in our last segment about um, the other phases of the ARISE intervention. So, Kevin, you talked about the initial first um, call call. and and what the family member needs to do in order to get the board of directors together. What's the next
2: phase? Well, let me, if I can, I'd like to backtrack and just uh, cite some um, research that uh, really underscores why the family is so important in this. If I could?
1: You certainly
2: can, go right ahead. Thank you. Um, one of the things that uh, we learned during um, ARISE training as being interventionists, uh, we were introduced to some more research on some of the, str- not only strengths of families, but also some specific research related to um, substance abusing population and how much contact they have with their families of origin. And um, let's see, Stanton and Shadish, they found that 26 of 28 reports indicate uh, drug addicts are in regular contact with one or more parent. Here, And the statistics just become more uh, exciting as far as uh, family work. Valiant found that 90% of 22-year-olds in New York who are narcotic addicts um, when they were returning from treatment, they lived with their mother if their mother was alive. That's 90%. Um, wow. Stanton found that 86% of 25- to 30-year-olds who were addicted to opioids saw one or both parents face-to-face at least weekly.
1: That's not what we typically think of, or that's not most of our... Um, impressions of people who are in the throes of their addiction. We think of them as being disenfranchised from their family and having very little contact with the family.
2: Oh, not at all. Um, it, I know it sounds counterintuitive, and when uh, we relayed this at a recent conference, um, down Cape Cod, the participants in that conference had the same reaction, that the information and the statistics are counterintuitive than what you'd think. But the statistics out there right now is that, you know, 90% of folks who are abusing substances are not in treatment or self-help. So those aren't the folks that you'd see.
1: Yes, good point. It is.
2: Um, There's also, uh, internationally, um, folks who are abusing drugs that are living with parents In Italy, 80%. England, 62%. In Thailand, 80%. In Puerto Rico, 67%. Uh, The statistics are unbelievable of how much contact and support a family has um, and how much contact they have with uh, an ill family member. Uh, A non-addicted family, non-addicted adults in this country, in the United States, um, it's only 9% of the non-addicted population has daily con daily telephone contact with one or more parent. For folks who are addicted to heroin, 64% of them have daily telephone contact. Uh, Poly substance abuse uh, for that population of folks, 51% of the folks who um, are uh, using many substances or more than one substance have daily telephone contact with one or more parent. And that research was done by Purzel and Lamont. was uh, just a it's phenomenal how much uh, the more we get um, good information, good quality statistics and information, that it's really supporting the work that we know is working. And specifically, now to answer your question, um, around the three levels of an ARISE intervention. The the first call really is uh, the coaching phase. That's what, I, that's what we do with uh, the person that we're talking with on the phone. We're getting a lot of information from them about their family and about their family member but we're addressing their initial concerns, questions, presenting problems, and we might be reframing um, some of their action-oriented goals at the moment and provide them with the information to support that. Um, We do uh, an initial genogram, get a sketch of the family history, uh, substance use history, any treatment history, things that have worked, things that haven't, we definitely assess for safety um, because, that, again, that's going to be a priority. Um, we look at prior family efforts, who's been involved, and we explain the ARISE model and method. Um, we tell them all the information about why the family needs to be involved, um, why there is a board of directors, just like I've been explaining and we've been talking about in the last 50 minutes. Um We move on from there. We obtain a commitment to proceed if they do want to proceed. And we both have homework. As an interventionist, we work with them over the intervening week or couple weeks to help them get this board of directors together and um, how to approach their family member in inviting them to this first meeting when it has been arranged. Um, So we make the plans to invite this network of folks and we conduct a first meeting. And it usually is in the person's uh, community where they're living. At the first meeting, uh, 60% of the time, uh, the participants actually agree to go into care before the family meets, <laughs> before this first meeting. And whether it's because... Um, You know, the secret's out of the bag with everybody, and they just understand that, okay, there is a problem. And they get a chance to work themselves through stages, some stages of change from, you know, pre-contemplation to a contemplation, some ambivalence, and agreeing to go into some level of care. And we see that as a success. That really does help the family unit, help that individual get into recovery. Even if the individual is in care, has left... is in treatment somewhere Um, this first meeting still happens because our second prong of this two prong approach is to get the family unit into recovery as well and to have them on the same page as the same team so no one can be isolated anymore and it helps protect them because the system and wellness will be challenged
1: so is this the same as tough love
2: no Nope. not yet at least
1: (laughs) How how is this different than what we traditionally think of
2: as tough love. Uh, the big difference is that there is a overarching support and message of love and support for the family member, and that comes from everybody, um, not only the interventionists but also the family members, because we're there to support and care for the individual.
1: Kevin, if our listeners want to learn more about Arise Interventions, how can they contact you?
2: You can contact me at Westbridge Community Services at westbridge.org, or at our 800 number, 800-889-7871.
1: So, if any of you out there are thinking about, um, have a family member that you would like to get into treatment, please consider this model, the Arise Intervention Model. Have a great week.